Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. So let's just jump right into it. So today I'm carrying on the series I began last week called Understanding Our Times, Developing a Biblical Worldview. So I had a thought this week about something that's sort of interesting, and you all know it, that we now have all the knowledge of human history literally at our fingertips. Everything that we've ever learned, you can actually find on the internet pretty much everything, right at your phone, right at your tablet, right at your computer. And yet... Why are we having such a hard time? Why are we so confused? Why is life so difficult? Why is everything such a big challenge? We thought that all of this advancement was going to solve all our problems. Let me ask you a question. Did technology solve all of our problems? (laughs) It solved a few of them and made life more convenient on one level. On the other hand, created a whole new set of problems. Thanks to my cell phone, I can be at work 24 hours a day. Isn't that wonderful? And thanks to social media, I never have to have a personal, face-to-face, meaningful relationship with another human being again, right? Isn't it sort of weird what we call friends these days? So, so I'll tell you something that I find fascinating. Uh, I was in high school 50 years ago, and I have people that I went to high school with way back then who were sending me friend requests for social media. And I'm thinking to myself, really, after 50 years? And I don't do it, but I want to send them a message back and wait. Look, I didn't want to be your friend in high school. Why do you think I want to be your friend now? <laughs> but I don't do that because I'm like a super nice guy. But you knew that. And then we look at the, the marvels of medical science. And I mean, really, it is remarkable, the advancements we've made on this. And yet, here's the end result of it. You know this is true. We are living longer, sicker. That's actually true. That's proven fact, that we are sick people that live longer. These drugs and things and medicines actually allow us to live longer even though we're sick and we probably should die. And when we look at it, I mean, everybody is sick. I mean, so many people have, you know, metabolic syndrome or type 2 diabetes or hypertension or, you know, uh, heart disease or depression or anxiety. Uh, you, you may know this, or maybe you don't. 66% of North Americans, both in Canada and the U.S., are on prescription drugs, adults, 66%. Look at, look at the chart. Look at the chart. I mean, it's through the roof. And by the time you're 70 years old, 70% are on prescription drugs. And then thanks to the Internet, we now know that our lives are wholly inadequate because we will never have the money of Jeff Bezos, That's a nice boat, by the way. We're never going to have the fame of Taylor Swift, and we're never going to have the abs of Ryan Gosling. Well, well, I might, but but you're not probably going to. (laughs) And, And here's where I'm going with all of this. With all the advancements we've made, it seems to me that the human race has lost its way. We just seem like we don't know how to navigate the world that we're in. And I say, and I've been saying, that it all comes back to us getting a biblical worldview where we would understand the times. And our text for this series has been 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. The sons of Issachar had understanding of the times... So they knew what Israel ought to do. They knew what to do because they had understanding of the times. And they had understanding of the times, not because they stared at the world and stared at the times, but they stared into the Word of God. And the Word of God became real to them, and they developed a biblical worldview. 
And I've been telling you this in this last couple of weeks, that a worldview, it's the lens in which we view the world. And when we get a biblical worldview, I'm telling you, everything becomes clear. So I have a little story to tell you. Uh, it, was, it was Wednesday night. Many of you were here. And uh, what had happened at the end of Wednesday night, it had been raining when we came in. It was quite mild. Then we had this cold front move in, and it turned to freezing rain, and then turned to snow. And we all went out into the parking lot, and our cars were covered in a sheet of ice. And mine was covered front, back, and sides. It was just caked in ice. And because we had such a mild winter, I didn't have my scraper in my car. I left it in the garage. And so I'm going around, and I'm thinking, how am I going to get this ice off? So I pulled out a credit card, and started going, I thought, I am not breaking this credit card to get this ice off. And besides, the ice was that thick, it wasn't going to come off. So then I did what you've all done. I went in the car, started it up, and I put on the defrost. That happens really quickly for half-inch ice, right? No, it doesn't happen quickly. I got the wipers going like this. I'm squirting the spray on it. And it's just a big mess. And I sat there and waited until finally, how many of you experienced this? Where the little bit of a window opens up, you know, through the... And so I thought, okay, I now have a spot about this big. I'm going to start driving. And, and I started driving across the parking lot really slowly. And I couldn't see the curbs. And I couldn't see the, the, the road. And I couldn't see anything. And then I stopped at the edge of the parking lot. And I thought, what on earth am I doing? If I drive into the street like this, I will for sure die and kill some other people with me. I mean, I knew it. I thought, really? I think I can, can go navigate the streets with iced up windows, can't see the mirrors, can't see through the, through the back, and all I have is this teeny little window. So I thought, you know what? I'm actually not in a rush. I'm going to sit here and let this thing defrost. So I was sitting there, and while I was sitting there, this verse came to me, 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says this, he says, for now we see through a glass darkly. And I thought to myself, that's how we view the world. We, we don't see it all. We don't know it all. We just see this, this little, little tiny bit, this foggy, blurry little thing. We're trying to, and no wonder we're having such a hard time in life, navigating life, because we don't have a clear view of it. And so I have a verse for you today because I think God wants to open our eyes. I think he wants to clear up your lens so you're able to see the world for what it really is. And it's in, it's in Psalm 119, and it's David. It's a cry of his heart. He was good at crying in his heart. And he says in verse 17, Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Wondrous things from your word. What's he crying out for? What is he asking for? A biblical worldview. He's asking God to open up his eyes to, so that he would begin to see what the world through God's eyes would look like. And you know, there is, we can't answer every question. A biblical worldview, I told you this, doesn't answer every question. But we need to be able to answer the really big, important questions. Like, who is he? Who are we? And where are we going? Those are the big questions. So today we're going to deal with this, this question. Who is he? Who is God? And I think this is the absolute cornerstone of having a biblical worldview. I mean, the, the Word of God, obviously, is, is terribly important, and the Sermon on the Mount, terribly important. But we need an epiphany. We need a revelation of actually who God is. And if, and if we could have that, that becomes the foundation, the cornerstone for the biblical worldview. And if we could just get that one thing, I'm telling you, almost everything else will fall into line behind it. So here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to give us 
Just a few of the attributes of God. I can't go through them all, but I'm going to give you a few really significant major ones. And the first one I want to talk about, the nature of God, is this, and it is his sovereignty. And we've often heard this, that word. Here's the definition. He is the supreme Lord over all creation, being the ultimate source of all power, authority, and everything that exists. And a sovereign is someone whom there is nothing above them. There is nothing higher. And so then that means that God, if he is the sovereign, if he is, has sovereignty, there's nothing above God. He is the absolute source, the absolute authority, the absolute creator of all things. And understanding that, knowing that, is the foundation of the Christian faith. There is nothing above God. See, see let me ask you a question. You all, most of you know the Ten Commandments. You can probably, most of you can name like three of them. And, uh, but there's, there's actually ten. And who can tell me what the very, very first of the Ten Commandments Yes, who knows? I am the Lord, your God. You shall have no other gods before you. It's the first one. The very first thing. He says, you know, need to know who I am. I am the Lord, your God. Do not, you shall not have any other gods before you. And that means any kind of other gods, any kind of theory, any other kind of philosophy, any kind of small g gods. He says, you've got to put me first. And why is that the first commandment? Because, you know, a lot of times, hey, let's be honest. We think about the, the Ten Commandments, and we think, oh, that, that murder one, that's a bad one. People, if you ask people what they think the worst, the worst sin is, they'll say, well, murder is probably the worst. Adultery is pretty bad. You know, lying and, and stealing, not very good. Well, the most important commandment, the biggest commandment, is to love the Lord your God. That he is the Lord, that's the most important. And let me tell you another little secret. Do you know that you don't go to hell for breaking the other nine commandments? You say, what? I can do that? No, I'm not telling you you can do that. I'm just, saying, I'm, I'm just saying that's not what sends you to hell. What sends you to hell is denying Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the one who forgives all those other nine. But if you deny God as the Lord and the Creator, then that's the thing that sends you to hell. That's the one that breaks the deal. Because the other ones can all be forgiven, but you're not going to get forgiven if you don't accept and receive God. Do you see how important this is? And so here's what I'm going to do today. We're going to drill down on this, and we're going to go through to, to Genesis 1-1. And I'm going to camp in Genesis 1-1. And you would be surprised at how much you can learn from the very, very, very first book in the Bible. Funny how important first things are. And so the very first scripture in the, in the Bible is this. And it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Did you catch that? In the beginning, God. Say, everybody say, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Doesn't say in the beginning, man. Doesn't say in the beginning, monkey. Doesn't say in the beginning, amoeba. Doesn't say in the beginning, Oprah. It doesn't say technology or science or philosophy or any of these. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And here's what we have to understand, that God created all things. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything we see, everything we know, everything we know about existence was created by God. But see, here's why this is such a big deal. From kindergarten right up to a PhD degree at Oxford or Harvard, we've been told that it isn't God that created the heavens and the earth. That's the message our little kids, our five-year-olds, get in kindergarten. Remember, remember they used to call it, some of you are old enough, they used to call it the theory of evolution. 
You ever hear anybody use the word theory anymore? No. They don't, they don't teach it as a theory anymore. They teach it as fact. They teach the little kids in kindergarten, grade one and grade three and grade five, grade seven, university. They're taught this. They get this drilled into their little heads. And here we are in this world and people are going through life thinking that the universe came into being some other way than in the beginning, God. And I, I'm going to remind you of, of something and you're going to realize how true this is. So in 1988, there was a, a very seminal book that came out. It was by Stephen Hawking, A Brief History of Time. And some of you have read, uh, read that. Some of you at least know of it. Most of you know of it. From the Big Bang to Black Holes. It was a very interesting book. I remember when it came out. I got the book. I read it from front to back. He had some very interesting things to say. And here's what I love most about it. He was actually... Uh, very sincere in the questions he was asking. And he had some answers, but he also had many questions. And he begins the book, and he ends the book with this statement, that if we could figure these things out, we could find the mind of God. Those were his words. Now, at his death in 2018, he had already denied the existence of God. He had, he had said, there, he, he looked, he searched, and he decided there was no God, and that the universe did not need a God. Now, there was a little quote in the book as to how the universe came into being. And I remember when I read it, it stuck in my mind. And years later, some 30 years later, it's still stuck in my brain and I still can remember it. And he said, this is how the universe came into being. He said, a tiny microscopic dot of concentrated matter and energy floating in the void of nothingness spontaneously exploded, spawning the planets and the stars and the galaxies of our universe today. There is the explanation of the whole universe. A tiny, microscopic dot of concentrated matter and energy just floating in the void of nothingness, spontaneously exploded, spawning the universe we have today. Wow, that takes a lot of faith to believe that. I mean, I have a few questions about it, just little tiny, small questions. Number one, where did the tiny microscopic dot come from in the first place? Where did the void of nothingness come from? How did it spontaneously explode? Nobody has an explanation for that. And how did a tiny microscopic dot, one that you can't see with the naked eye, how did it contain a universe that is 13.67 billion light years from one side to the other with 100 million galaxies, with 100 million stars in every galaxy? How does that work? Here's my conclusion to this. That is the greatest level of faith I've ever heard in my life. I don't know any religion that requires you to have that kind of faith. That you believe that a tiny, microscopic dot floating in the void of nothingness spontaneously exploded and created everything that we are today. I mean, that is just absolutely preposterous. Yet, we are taught that as to be a bona fide fact and people today believe it. Too much faith for me. I'm sorry. I'm going with this one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there's another bigger spontaneous thing that happened that we're expected to believe, and that's this. So where did life come from? Because here's what we know. Science has proven that. I mean, first of all, that whole theory of the Big Bang actually denies physical law cause and effect. It breaks every physical law there is, but yet they'll drill down and they bob and weave and make it happen. And then they have the second piece of it, which is, why is there human life on planet Earth? 
And then you have to have another leap in logic and a leap in faith to believe how it got here because this is what science has proved. National, natural law has proven that organic or biological life cannot arise from inorganic material. It's just a fact. It's a scientific fact. I'm not making this up. Go read the literature. They haven't been able to prove that. They haven't been able to reproduce that because they can't reproduce that. So this is what, this is what they say. So there was a the Big Bang. Then there was a the third planet from the, from the sun. It was just floating along. And on this planet, there was this, this primordial ooze that covered the planet, this chemical soup, this goo. And it was just sort of there, sitting there. And then all of a sudden spontaneously, there's that word again, spontaneously there was a chemical reaction that spawned life out of non-life. And then, of course, at first it was just an amoeba of some sort, like a single-celled animal. But the thing we know about single-celled animals is they can just reproduce, right? They can multiply and multiply. And then the next thing you know, it became a great big, huge community. And they had to organize and decide where they were going to go, what their future was going to look like. And they thought, you know, this is, this is what we should do. We should evolve into other organisms, other species, and see, see, who does the, see who fares the best. Well, let's call it their survival of the fittest. So then one of them, it, it grew a little tail on the back, and it was able to move around in the goo because it had a tail and it was sort of going along, you know, making some motion. Then it grew little spins on the side so it could really direct itself like this. So they were floating around moving around in the goo and and it was pretty good. And then then what happened one day is they decided why do we have to live in the goo? Why do we have to live in the primordial ooze? Why can't we live up on the dry land? And then one very brave early animal decided it was going to crawl out of the ooze and onto the land and I, I don't know how it was going to breathe, but it was going to try, and it was going to do its best, and it was going to take those little tiny fins, and it was going to pull itself up on... Uh, well, you've seen the picture. Here's the picture. Here it is, coming up. And it's a real-life picture. See, here you thought you evolved from a monkey. Turned out you came from a lizard, which I think explains your brother-in-law. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So anyway... Uh, I mean, others followed and they crept up onto the dry land and they moved themselves along with their little fins that were becoming legs. And then who wants to crawl around on their belly for the rest of their existence? And one of them, very brave, said one day, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to stand on my hind legs. And it stood up on its hind legs (laughs) and started selling insurance to the other reptiles. And it was doing extraordinarily well because it had this delightful, friendly little Kiwi accent. And it was hard not to buy insurance from them. And, and, so, and so you knew life had been changing. And then what happened was, was they invented mathematics. And then they discovered electricity. And, and then they, they developed the, the internet. And then they concocted social media. And eventually they evolved into fully functioning cyborgs that we have today. You, you've seen them. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I love about Mark Zuckerberg? He's so human-like. That's what I like. like, like. <laughs> I'm so mean, but I don't care. Uh, and, and so, so here, here's, the, here's the theory. This is how it all came about. And, and don't tell me like, that that's not harder to believe than the story of Adam and Eve. I think the story of Adam and Eve is way easier to believe and way, makes way, way more sense. And here's the thing. Even, the, even the, the, the atheist scientists, even the skeptics, know that there's a problem with this theory because you still can't have life emerging from inorganic material. It still doesn't work. So, so have you heard the latest? You know what they're working with now? 
Some of you have heard of it. It's called panspermia. And it was this. Okay, well, okay. So there, it couldn't just evolve out of, out of a chemical soup. And so really what happened was this life form came from another galaxy. It came by aliens <laughs> to planet Earth. And maybe it maybe it got trapped on a, on a meteorite, and, and that meteorite landed on the Earth. And that's how we started the first life on Earth from outer space, panspermia. Wow, that just makes everything so much more easy to believe for me. And, and so we look at this and we go, okay, Pastor Mark, I hear you. It all seems a bit preposterous, but I'm really having trouble with the Bible story. And here's what people say to me all the time. They say, Pastor Mark, I just don't think I can believe that the earth is only 6,000 years old. To which I said, who says it's only 6,000 years old? Who told you it was only 6,000 years old? The Bible doesn't say 6,000 years ago God created the heavens and the earth. It does not say that. It says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't say when the beginning is. And so here's what I'm going to do. Because I, I want to help you with this. I want to help you understand this. Because there's various theories on this. There's more than one Christian theory on this. So the first one is the young earth creationist. And there are people, sincere people, who've worked very hard to, to develop an understanding and a theory on this. And they believe that the earth is really 6,000 years old. And, you know, you've been to Drumheller, and so you've seen the dinosaur bones, and so you're having a hard time believing that the earth is only 6,000 years old. So they, well, they said, well, don't you understand that, that those dinosaurs roamed the earth before Noah's flood? And after the flood, they could no longer live here, and that whole carbon dating thing, it's inaccurate, it doesn't really work. And, and they're sincere people, they're smart people, I'm not knocking them today, I'm just not one of them. I, don't, I do not believe the earth is 6,000 years old. I'm sorry. The Bible doesn't say it is. If you want to believe that, it's a, there's nothing wrong with that theory. You can take that and go, go with it if you want. But you're not commanded by Scripture to believe that. Now, there is a second theory. Actually, there's several more, but I'm only going to give you three main ones. The second one is this, and it's the appearance of age theory. And it's this, that God created the earth maybe six or ten or whatever thousand years ago, but he gave it the appearance of age, and so that it looked like it had always been here, and this is what the earth would have looked like had it gone back for eons or millions or billions of years. And that's actually not a, a, a terrible theory. Because you know why I know this? I have a brother who was born with the appearance of age. Yeah, he just always looked old. He's my younger brother. He's always looked older than me. When he was a kid, he looked like a teenager. When he was a teenager, he looked 30. When he was 30, he looked middle-aged. You know that my brother, he turned, this weekend, he turned 65. And I sent him a text, and I said, Happy birthday, you've finally grown into your look. <laughs> Oh, don't feel bad for him. He has other good qualities, right? I mean, beauty's only skin deep. I should know. I've been cursed with it my whole life, right? <laughs> so, so, the first, <laughs> so the first theory is the young earth creationist. Nothing wrong with that. The second one is the appearance of, of age. Nothing wrong with that. The third one is the gap theory. And, and the gap creation theory, and there's probably a bunch of people who have never heard this. And let, let me explain how this works. And, and, and they look at Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And they're of the mind that that could have happened millions or hundreds of millions of years ago. And that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then something happened in, in Genesis 1.2. 
And then there was a recreation in Genesis 1-3. So, so let me, sh- first of all, show you the picture, and then I'll show you the verses on this. So well, here it is. Somebody put it up. Okay, we'll go with this. Uh, so here's the creation gap theory, is that before the world we know, there was a pre-Adamic race. There was a, a, a race or a creation that God made before man existed. And I know people, we never think about this, and we think, well, well how, could, how could that be? How could there be a race? Well, <laughs> why don't we remember this for a moment? How long has God been, around, God been around? Forever. How long is forever? A very long time. And in, and in our chronology, it's hundreds of millions of years, it's billions of years, or whatever. Do we honestly think that God was sitting there for billions of years, twiddling his thumbs and going... I am so bored. I wish there was something to do. I wish there was something to do. And then after 100 billion years, he came up with an idea. Oh, I know. I'll make man, and I won't be so bored. And by the way, we are not boring him. I'll tell you that. But do we honestly think that? That is the height of human arrogance to think that God was doing nothing before man was created. He's been around forever. What was he doing? We don't know. Why don't we know? Because the Bible doesn't tell us. Because the Bible is the story of the earth. It begins with the creation of the earth in Genesis, and it ends in Revelation with the destruction of the earth and the creation of the new heavens and the new earth, which we know it gets created, but it doesn't tell us where it goes from there. And so really all we have in the scripture and all's intended for us is this little slice of what our existence, planet Earth, is all about. That's all we know from the scripture. What was God doing before? We don't know. So here's where I want to go. go let's go to this scripture. Let's go to Genesis 1.1 again. Genesis 1.1 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So far, so good. Verse 2. Verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now that word there, it says, now the earth was without form and void. It also could be translated, it was in a state of chaos. But in the Hebrew language, this is what it actually says. It says, and the earth became without form and void. It's a big difference, was and became, meaning it was something else before. And, this, and of course the translators didn't understand that, so they, they said, and the earth was. But in fact it says, and the earth became formless and void. See, my question for you is this. If God created the heavens and the earth, would he have created the earth in a state of chaos? That doesn't sound like something God would do. God doesn't create chaos, right? There's a great story about that. You've got these three professionals, an engineer, an architect, a politician. They're sitting around talking about the oldest profession. The engineer says, you know, The engineer is the first profession because when God created the earth, he needed an engineer to build everything. And then the uh, architect says, what are you talking about? Before you guys can start building, an architect has to do the designing, so the architect is the first profession. The politician said, no, no, you're both wrong. Who do you think created all the chaos in the first place? (laughs) Right? (laughs) So let's look at this picture again. We'll look at it again. There's a possibility that there was this pre-Adamic world. And then what had happened was that pre-Adamic world, whatever it was, actually came to an end in some way, in some fashion. And then you have the earth there that seems to have water on it, and it's sitting there, and there's darkness, and there doesn't seem to be any light, and it's in a state of confusion and chaos. And then in Genesis 1-3, God says, let there be light And there's light, and then he starts the whole creation process from Genesis 1-3. 
Now you're saying, Pastor Mark, this whole gap theory between verse 1 and verse 3, like that's ridiculous. I mean, well, why don't we just have a look and see if we can find it in Scripture. And I'll tell you where you go. If you've never seen this before, this is going to blow your mind. Are you ready to have your mind blown? It's Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 23. And this is what it says. And I beheld the earth, and indeed it was without form and void. Did you catch that? He's looking at the earth. It was without form, and it was void. That is word for word, Genesis 1-2. And the earth was without form and void, word for word. Let's keep reading then. And he says, And the heavens, they had no light. Also, Genesis 1-2. And there was darkness over the surface of the waters. And I beheld the mountains, and indeed they trembled, and all the hills, and they moved back and forth. And I beheld, and indeed there was no man. No man was created yet, so, so far, so good. Here's where we get into trouble. And all the birds of the heavens had fled. And I beheld, and indeed the fruitful lands was a wilderness. And all of its cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord by his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be desolate, yet I will not make a full end. Oh my goodness. Jeremiah is looking at a picture where the earth was without form and void. And he says there was no light, there was no man. But then he goes on and he says this. He says the birds of the air had fled, meaning what? They had been there. There was birds there at one time. Now they're probably pterodactyls, right? Not birds, right? And you know why the pterodactyl crossed the road? You know why? He hadn't evolved into a chicken. That's why, right? So, so, so we look at that. It says the, the fruitful land, it, it's become a wilderness. And it says, and the cities are all destroyed, meaning there were cities. And so what this is saying, what this is possibly saying, is that there was a pre-Adamic world here on the earth before Adam got here, and God destroyed it, and he started again, and he recreated the earth, and said, let there be light, and he began the whole thing over again, because he said, I will not make a full end. And I know some of you are sitting there, and you're thinking, Pastor Mark... Why have I never heard this before? I'll tell you why. Because you're too busy listening to Bill Nye the science guy instead of Jeremiah the prophet. Right? I mean, if we would... A, a biblical worldview is going into the scripture and seeing what does God say about creation. You say, Pastor, do I have to believe that? No. You can believe whatever you want. But here's the one thing you have to believe. In the beginning, God... That is all you really need to know for sure. And where you go on those three theories, it's up to you. It doesn't matter to me. You've probably figured out where I land already. So the first thing that is an absolute essential is understanding the sovereignty of God. The second component, attribute of who God is, is his providence. Now, we know this. Oh, sorry. Let me talk about the eternality first. Second is is the eternality. Uh, He is God without beginning or end, neither created nor born, Uh, who exists beyond chronological time. So here's what we know about the eternality of God, is that God is eternal, meaning he has always existed, meaning he doesn't have a beginning, he doesn't have an end, he wasn't born, he wasn't begotten, and, this is a tough one for people, that he lives outside of chronological time. And people wonder about that, and this this is what we know about time. And it is Einstein figured this out. And he found out that time was actually an aspect of the universe, but that time wasn't the constant. What's the constant? Who knows? According to Einstein. Speed of light, Speed of light was the constant. 
And Einstein proposed that if you could travel at the speed of light, time would actually slow down and that time was relative and that time could actually stand still. And so we look at the scripture and we realize when it says in the beginning God, and we ask ourselves our question, what was the beginning? And maybe, maybe the beginning, maybe, was when he created light because light became the constant and with the creation of light as we know it, he created time. Now when we go into the new heavens and the earth, you know what it says? There was no sun and there was no moon to give them light but the glory of the God illuminated them. And so maybe if you take away the physical world in which we live, we now take away light. Or sorry, we take away time. I want, I want you to think about this. Because God says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It doesn't say he's at the beginning and at the end. He says he is the beginning and he is the end. And I believe that God lives in a timeless state. He lives in the eternal now. And when, he said, when it says that to God a thousand years is as a one day and one day is a thousand years, I don't think that's some idiom. I think that's reality. Because I think God lives in this time of state. You know what else I believe? I believe that when we leave the confines of this world and we go off to heaven, that we too leave the confines of the vector of time that we live in now. The vector of time. Why would God be bound by the vector of time? He's not bound by the vector of time. Time's not eternal. Why would it be eternal? It is something that was created with the universe. And so when you get to heaven, you're going to get there and find yourself in the eternal moment, in the eternal now. And here's where I might like to mess with people's brains on this. There is nobody in heaven waiting for you to get there. You say, why not? Because we all arrive at the same moment in eternity. Huh? Well, you can think about that all you want. I keep bringing that up every year or so so people will think about that. So number one, we have the sovereignty of God. Number two, we have the eternality of God. And number three, the providence. Now, we could talk about his miraculous and all that, that God, you know, transcends natural law. But providence is this. He divinely intervenes in the affairs of man within the confines of natural law to bring about his objectives. And there's this theory out there. Some of you probably heard it. It's called the blind watchmaker. And that what God did was he created the universe and it was like he clocked and he wound up the clock and then he stood back and just let the thing roll out. See what happens. Nothing will be further from the truth. It says that God rules in the kingdom of men. He says he brings rain on the just and the unjust alike. Everything that happens in the universe is under God's direction because he's not only sovereign, but he is providential. You know, even some of the things that we call miracles, if you look at them, they're not miracles. I mean, they are, but they aren't because they didn't transcend nature. And for example, the, the, the plagues in Egypt under Moses. You look at those plagues, they're all natural plagues. There was locusts, and there was frogs, and there was boils. And it says the, the, the day became black, and it was black during the middle of the day, and they were under darkness. And we have no explanation. We think that's a miracle. But we now know from, from studies, archaeological history, that what happened in the days of Noah, or Moses rather, was the island of Santorini, which is a volcanic island in the Mediterranean, it exploded. Here's a picture of the island, what it looks like today. And it's a volcano, it exploded, and it sent a dust cloud all over the area of Egypt and much of that known world at the time. The sky went black. And there are people that say you can explain all of the plagues of, of Egypt back to this one occurrence, which was a natural occurrence. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying God uses nature. He's in charge of everything. This is what scripture says. It says, a sparrow does not fall from a tree outside of his will. What does that tell you? God's in control. He's in control of every aspect of your life. 
He's watching every moment. He's with you, directing. It's the providence of God. It, give, it should give you such a peace that my life is not random. It's not a fluke. I'm not just some fluke of nature, some spontaneous explosion in the void of nothingness. There's a reason and a purpose for every one of us. So I'm going to just close with a, a story here, a bit of an application for this. It's, a, it's an interesting story. So you have these three young gals. They're out mountain climbing, and they're doing the real thing. They're going up this rock face. And they've got the, you know, the clips and the, and the chisels and all that stuff you use. And they've got three rope, or a rope, and it's, the three of them are roped together. So you've got first climber, second climber, third climber. And they're going up this treacherous face, and, and they'll fall to their death if they fall. And what happened was this, the second gal lost one of her contact lenses. It popped out and fell out, and she began to become very distressed uh, I don't know how many of you wear contact lenses. I wear contact lenses. And when I lose one la- lens, I'm very disoriented. It's all one blurry, clear on the other side. And so she became very distressed. I mean, originally when I got contacts, I just used them for reading. And then I had to wear them to see during the day. And now I have to put them in at night if I want to dream. I mean, that's how bad my, <laughs> that's how bad my eyesight is. And I, and I know what it's like to lose a contact lens. It's very distressing. And, and so she loses her contact lens. It's dropped somewhere. You can't find them. They're, they're clear. And she's panicking. She says, I can't move. I can't go on. Because one wrong move, and you go to your, fall to your death, right? One wrong move, one wrong foothold, or one wrong handhold, and she can't see properly. And so the first gal on the, on the, on the, on the run there, she was a Christian. She says, we're going to pray that we'll find the contact lens. Oh, yeah, good luck with that. And she says, we're going to pray. So she prays. And, and the second gal, in the, she didn't think for a minute that they're going to find that contact lens. But anyway, the gal prayed. And then the third one, after the prayer, the third one, the, uh, the second one's looking for the lens. But the third one was looking for the lens too. And she says, oh, here it is, here it is. And an ant came crawling out of a crack in the rock, carrying on its back the contact lens. It was heading the colony to put in a hot tub. That's, I found a hot tub! Woohoo! Party! And so it comes carrying in this contact lens, and the gal says, I see your contact lens. An ant just brought it out of a crack in the, crack in the rock. So she grabbed the lens, she passed it up to the other gal, she put it into her eye. I want you to think about this. God sent an ant to find her contact lens. That's the God that we serve. He is above everything. His throne is in the heavens, but his kingdom rules over all. He is the awesome God of creation. Your life is in his hands, and no one and nothing can snatch him out, because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's stand together. All right, I want to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment here, if you would. It all begins with this acceptance of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He is the God that was in the beginning, the scripture tells us. Through him all things were made. And if you've never invited Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior, this is where it begins. And I'm not asking you, have you been to church or baptized as an infant? Have you made the decision to ask Jesus into your life? And if you haven't, I want to give you that opportunity today. I won't call you forward. I'm not going to single you out. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, do you want to know that you know that you're on your way to heaven? And if that's you, nobody's looking around. If that's you, I want you to just slip up your hand for a moment. Indicate that that's what you want by flashing your hand to me. Just take a moment. 
Not calling you, thank you, sir, in the side. Uh, I'm not calling anybody forward, thank you in the middle. Anybody else want to join these folks? Take a moment, raise your hand, say yes. All right, fantastic. Let's pray with these people because I said I wouldn't single anybody out. Ready? Lord Jesus, thank you for the work of the cross. That you died for my sins. And you took them all away. And you rose again on the third day. And you forever live to be my Lord. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Today I'm a new creation in Christ. Lord, open my eyes that I might see the wondrous things of your word and that I might develop a biblical worldview. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give him a big shout today, shall we? Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.